to remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. Somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Cancer. My name is Matthew Zachary, and I am a 17-year young adult survivor of brain cancer. And my name is Annie Goodman, journalist, young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show. It's not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy, baby folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. On tonight's show, we are going to talk about TOSCA, the Toxic Substances Safety Act of 1976. Of the 80,000 known chemicals in our food, air, water, cars, homes, etc., basically everywhere, only a handful are regulated for human safety, and this is not okay. Discussing this tonight will be survivor journalist Emily Cousins with the NRDC, Lindsay Dahl with Safer Chemicals, Healthy Families, and Nancy Biermeyer with the Breast Cancer Fund. And in our Survivor Spotlight, we have Andy Koontz, who's a brain cancer survivor. Okay, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, a nonprofit organization that empowers young adults affected by cancer online at stupidcancer.org. And a Stupid Cancer welcome to any and all of our first-time listeners here on the Blog Talk Radio Network as we come to you live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in New York City. Hello, Annie. Hello, Matthew. Welcome back. Thank you. We missed you. I missed you guys, too. I had a little bit of surgery. Not a huge deal, That's but... my new band name. <laughs> a little bit of surgery. Yeah. I, uh, you know, you guys who listen know that I had breast cancer, so I had tissue expanders invading my body for a little over a year and torturing my ribs and sternum and upper body, and I had those taken out, and I had silicone implants put in. Does that get one of these? Is that yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's uh, it's a lot different. The sur- surgery was much easier than having the mastectomy and the reconstruction for that surgery in the hospital for like three days. 
this I was uh, started at 7.30. I was home by noon. Wow, outpatient. Yep, it was outpatient, which is a huge difference. I didn't need as much anesthesia. I didn't need much crazy anesthesia, so I didn't, like, want to hurl right after. Wait, wait, there's the difference between anesthesia and then crazy anesthesia. I had crazy anesthesia. <laughs> Like, I had gas and propofol for my mastectomy prior because it was, like, almost a four-hour surgery. I'm Michael Jackson of you. I know. It's, like, my third time propofol, and the first time I had it was, like, right after he died. And I was like, why are you giving me the stuff that killed Michael Jackson, like, five minutes ago? <laughs> it was for an uh, endoscopy. Right. And they were like, well, he did it, like, recreationally. Yeah. You're doing it, like, with an anesthesiologist. Yes. So uh, this one only – this sur- so last surgery, I, you know, had – sofa and everything, so I was all right, but I just wasn't feeling good, so I, you know, always tell them, like, please, I had, I'm having chest surgery, right. I'd like to not want to vomit, <laughs> so they, How uh, dare you? I know, I was like, I'd like to not be, like, sitting with a pillow on my chest, I've heard nightmares, so I uh, didn't need gas this time, so I only need propofol, and I also didn't wake up confused and, like, pulling on tubes. Yeah, nice. So I was like, I usually wake up nauseous and confused, can you please make sure it doesn't happen this time? So that did not happen this time, which was a huge improvement. And, uh, you know, the surgery wasn't so bad. I probably have, like, a little bit more to go to fix them. I'm a little bit obsessed with making them look perfect. That's fine. So, As a man, I um, approve this message. Yeah. So I I need to have a little bit more work done on them. But, okay. you know, we're, we're heading in the right direction. <laughs> okay, at least. Very nice. Yeah. And we are joined tonight by Maureen Sweet. Hi, everyone. Good evening. Back for the second week in a row. Yes, Making you're going to become a mainstay now. Yeah. Yes. Kenny's not here, so I dyed my hair red just for the occasion. You grew, you grew a nice beard, too, I see. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I sound like a ginger to all yes. of you, so we needed that. You're going for the the, the ginger scruff lookalike contest. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Looks good. Fantastic. <laughs> Kenny, of course, is um, uh, drunk somewhere in a corner. Um, hopefully not, but probably so. Penny is on vacation. Yes. Well-deserved A well-deserved vacation. vacation. Yeah. His we first in probably terribly. three and a half years, if I could venture a guess. But we know he's not listening, and I hope he's like under a blanket somewhere, sleeping or drinking a large beer. A blanket? It's like 100 degrees out. Well, like air-conditioned room with a Okay. Blanket. All right. Fair. <laughs> or on a blanket outside having a picnic. Drinking that a pretty sounds awesome. Drinking yeah. a pretty, yes, with yeah, a nice yeah, umbrella, a little umbrella prop in the drink. That nice. sounds oh, yeah. Cold beer sounds awesome right now. Well, Maureen and I were at a really cool event um, this uh, weekend with mm-hmm. Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Right down in their Philadelphia facility. Yes, Ooh. it was a blogger summit of sorts. It was a yeah, social media summit, so we discussed blogging, social media, how to get yourself started on that. Uh, we were down there all day. Right. Drove down and back the same day, which was a fun little road trip for us. It was a bit of a what do you call it, the Super Cancer Mini road trip? <laughs> I do. Yeah, we have occasional Super Cancer Mini road trips. That's right. only about what two hours? Yeah, a little over two. Okay, that's good. So, yeah, it was great. How did you think it went? I thought it went very well. We had um, some great panelists, um, including, you know, some CTCA staff, so Lake Jawad, who we all know from Life Interrupted in the New York Times. Yep. Um, a couple of great bloggers, Emily Beck and Suzanne Edwards. Um, so we, I, I thought it went really well. What did you think, Matt? I thought it was, you know, for a first time out, I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was expecting 10 or 15 people. We had like 25 or so, and mm-hmm. then, you know, there was, there was a little drift. Mm-hmm. But we expect that, and at the end of the day, the people that stayed, it mattered, and we changed some lives for the better. Yeah, I think so. And we got really to good. see CTCA's new stem cell transplant unit that down in Philadelphia. It's opening yeah. very soon. So I, I saw your Instagram pics. Yeah. yeah. 
So you, now, you store stem cells in giant vats of liquid nitrogen, apparently. That's that, what I that's learned. That's what's fascinating they do the most. Yeah, no, I, I'm all about liquid the nitrogen. The LNG vats, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that what they do with, like, embryos and sperm and yeah, eggs? Yeah, the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine stem cells probably fall into the same category of fragility that you need them to be stored at sub-zero temperatures. Right, right, right. One would think. Or like super sub-zero temperatures. LNG is like, I don't know, like very, 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 very cold. Yes. That's my <laughs> mathematical <laughs> very, analysis very. There's of at how least cold four varies on how cold yeah. that is. Yeah. I hear LNG, and I go back to, this is just a personal story, but Staten Island in the 70s um, was almost taken over by a chemical lobby um, to build liquid nitrogen gas tanks. Mm-hmm. And instead you just built a landfill. <laughs> I was going to say, instead you just had to do a fresh fill. This actually overlooked the landfill. It was oh, a nice great, view. great, lovely. So they built these two enormous, giant, like they look like gasoline tanks. Um, I mean, I'm talking like like 30 stories tall and like like a quarter mile wide. And they, the, the citizens of the island like lobbied against having them there because they were an eyesore, they were dangerous. Back then LNG didn't, we couldn't stabilize it and you know, if you think having that tiny little oxygen tank of LNG at CPCA was scary enough, imagine something the size of 20 Titanics. Right. 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 And what would happen if something happened? So they, ne- they never let the tanks get full. The, the, the chemical company lost. We won. Mm-hmm. And the LNG tanks are just there dying, getting rusty, and look terrible anyway. Oh, so they put the tanks there before it they was They built even... the tanks. Um, but my, oh, my dad in the chat room just said they're actually being dismantled. Oh, oh, so 25 years later. Uh, thank you, Lou Greenswag, for yeah. that update. A difference is being made Yes. two and a right. half decades later. They're going to build a Walmart <laughs> in its place. I don't know which one would be better. Of course. <laughs> is it really? No. I oh, I was going to say. Well, it wouldn't surprise me. This, a third target's going up on the stand on this. So. Right, that's all you need. Wow. More targets, yeah, please. Exactly. Um, but anyway, things are good. And um, any other news? Any, anything else going on? Uh, I don't know. I, I feel so on the spot right now. Uh, Ending the hot seat. Yeah, not a lot of news and health. I'm know. just kidding. Yeah. Uh, you know, just it's really weird because this time last year I was like super, super bald with like no eyebrows and no eyelashes, and I had a pretty weird summer because it's weird to live in New York City and not be able to like sit outside a bar and have a cocktail because right. you're on like intense doses of chemotherapy. So it's been interesting, like, thinking about how much has changed in a year. Right. Like, last, and it's so, like, my birthday's coming up. Like that hair on your head. Yeah, like the hair on my head. Mm-hmm. But my birthday's coming up, and last year I couldn't drink on my birthday. And um, my friends were like, you have to do something, like, really fun for your birthday. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'll go out and you know, do whatever. But they're like, well, you didn't really get to celebrate last year because my appetite was, like, weird and I still had issues of going to restaurants because of smells and things like that and uh you know I couldn't drink and I was you know on and off tired and you know whatever everything that comes along with chemotherapy so it's it's interesting to get back to real life especially now that this surgery is behind me um you know I still have a ways to go but at the moment I'm in a lull of doctor's appointments well that's good it's it's good, but it's weird <laughs> because you get so used to it's so like as soon as you finish treatment, you like drop off how often you go to the doctor, especially to radiation. It's like you go from every single day right to like nothing, 
And then it's like I was, a postpartum kind of thing. You're like, yeah, you're so used to it, and then it's gone. Exactly. It's like I call it Stockholm syndrome. Like when ah. I like when I go to my <laughs> oncologist and I want to hug all the nurses and doctor my doctor because I miss them so much. Right. Exactly. And I'm like stock. I feel like I seriously have Stockholm syndrome. Like I love my captors, and um, <laughs> I uh, you know it's just interesting thinking like back like last year I take into consideration like going to the beach because my toenails are falling off. I was like, well, I can't, I'm afraid to go to the beach. I'm afraid, like, I'm going to get an infection in my toe because I have, nails. Cause right. I have like, lifted off toenails, and that's really uh, disgusting. But it's like, but that's the type of stuff you have to think about when your friend's like, do you want to go to the beach? I'm like, well, I would, but I have some toenail problems. Right. <laughs> so it's well, kind of cool to, like, be able to enjoy life at the moment. Well, we're proud of you. Thank you. And you look great. Thanks. So let's get to our... Uh... Our first guest tonight is someone I'm really looking forward to getting uh, to know yeah, a little bit tonight. Yeah, me too. Andy Kuntz is of Portland, Oregon, is a brain cancer survivor. He celebrated his one-year remission anniversary with the release of his album, You Will Get Through This. Andy has endured 10 head surgeries, six weeks of radiation through his brain and spine, and eight rounds of chemotherapy. He was determined to fight, and fight he did. He recorded the album at a, as a reflection of his cancer journey. His website is ydnarocks.com, where you can find a bio, pictures, album notes, and much, much more. Welcome, Andy. Hey, Andy. Live from Portland, Andy, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. No, we're thrilled to have you. We're very excited. Glad it worked out. Yeah, so am I. <laughs> more than more than we know, right? Yes. <laughs> well, you know, this is the Stupid Cancer Show. We love to start the show off with a, a young adult survivor story. I have to be honest, it's been a while since we had another brain cancer survivor on the show. I'm t- typically the token brain cancer survivor around. And he's a musician. And I'm, we're both musicians. I feel a kinship to your story. And um, oh. and uh, we, uh, we we have a lot in common. So I would uh, just love for you to start off with, you know, tell us all about your life and what was life before cancer? You're a musician, you're an artist. Who is Andy Coons? Well, um, I was in a band for since 94, and we had played for years and just played shows around town for a while. And then we started touring a lot and playing other cities, and that was my big thing was music and singing. I've sang since I was like five. I mean, I was just, I've grown up doing it my whole life, and, um, so doing a band, then the band thing got to, we were about 10 years together, and I was starting to think about other projects, and I was thinking about maybe doing, like, my own project. I had talked for years about doing this little electronic thing I did, um, while I was sick, um, and I never thought I'd actually do it, and honestly, that was the best time for me to do it, but... Before I got sick, it was pretty much banned. I shot a movie right before I got sick, too. Um, and I, I, I got sick, didn't finish it, and I finished it, like, in 2012 um, on my remission day um, last year. So did, are you a professional musician, or just you picked it up in high school? I've been... I, I think I'm as professional as... A indep- I'm independent. I've never been signed to a label or anything like that, but I'm... I've been doing it my whole life. I haven't worked a job in, gosh, I don't know. I worked at Oregonian until 2001. (laughs) So I've been been doing music ever since and having cancer. What's your style? 
Well, the, my band was rock, and honestly, I like all styles of music. I tend to like rock and rap and a lot of hip-hop. I like electronic stuff. I like a lot of techno and um, even like tra some trance music is kind of cool. I like industrial. I'm all over the board. So you're a musician, and then you start having symptoms that ended you up at the hospital. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what happened, what led you to your brain cancer diagnosis and your ten sur over 10 surgeries. Yikes, I'm not going to complain about my surgery. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, everything you went through medically. Well, um, what I remember was I started getting dizzy spells and... I started telling my wife I didn't feel like I could stand up, and she took me to my clinic um, to see my doctor. They thought it was allergies. They gave me some allergy medicine, came home, used it. I'm like, this isn't helping. Something else is wrong, and went back up. This time I had to take an ambulance because I couldn't get out of bed, and then it was like, you know, a nightmare. It was just like things unfolding, and finding out I have a tumor, and they tried shaking my head around because they thought I had labyrinthitis, and that made me throw up violently. Labyrinthitis? Wait, hang on. Labyrinthitis? Yeah, it's like these crystals that build up in your inner ear, and they're trying to break them up, and they were, it was like, I was like, I've never even heard of this. You know? So, I don't know. And then my mom kind of demanded they give me a, at least a CAT scan, because they were going to send me home. Um, and my mom's like, no way. And they get a CAT scan, and that's, that led to me getting an MRI and them finding the tumor. What was the uh, location and name of the tumor? Well, I had, it was medulloblastoma. It was in my cerebellum on the left side of my head. Um, it was about the size of a golf ball by the time they took it out. Um, and they got 90% after the first surgery out. And so I had radiation and chemo, and you know, chemo was just a kind of as a uh, in case it spread kind of a thing, right? But they final tap and it didn't they didn't look think it had spread, but they suggested it as a precautionary thing, and I did it, and it's fine. I had chemo, and it honestly has caused me more problems in the end than it did getting it. I don't even know how much it helped. So honestly, I think. After the surgery, I took a lot of stuff and changed my diet, and a lot of things I think were actually causing the cancer to even be there. So, stress, too. I mean, I was doing way too many things. <laughs> well, actually, Andy, I'm going to enlighten you a little bit. Um, I was diagnosed with a golf ball-sized medulloblastoma in the left hemisphere of my cerebellum in January of 1996. Uh, the one thing I can tell you is that, if they haven't told you this yet, medulloblastoma is congenital. So there was, you were born with this, and there was absolutely nothing that you did to get it angry. Huh. That's interesting. Yes. That's lightning. <laughs> so there you go. And they well, gave you allergy medicine, too. Right. I was misdiagnosed and given Robitussin. So they didn't <laughs> think I had uh, labyrinthitis with uh, David Bowie uh, staring at me over that movie poster from the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> labyrinth? Uh, labyrinth, yes, exactly, exactly. So, um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I was uh, talking to, I don't know if it's your wife or your girlfriend that I was uh, on the uh, on the email with, but we, uh, it, it's eerie how nearly, and the fact that we were musicians, I was a pianist, you were a guitarist, uh, totally eerie that you had nearly identical 
uh, medical scenario to me, and that you're misdiagnosed, and you know the dizziness. Um, so, what were the ensuing surgeries all about? Well, um, again, from what I remember, because I don't really remember a lot of it, my wife remembers a lot more um, than I do. She was there. She saw it. I was just going through it, so I don't remember it. Um, what I remember about the surgeries is going in for my first one at, when I went in to get the tumor taken out, and they uh, I, they took me into a PA hospital for like 15 minutes, and then they came. a doctor came in and told me I had brain cancer, and they automatically took me down to the ICU to prepare me for surgery then, like um, in the next day or two or something. And... Sorry, I was looking at Chrissy, trying to make sure. <laughs> anyway, um, <clears throat> that surgery, it was really interesting because I do remember a lot of that. Um, there was a nurse there who was looking after me in ICU. It was this big white room, and I felt like E.T., and it was, like, strange. Right. Just, you know, it was weird. And I was just thrust in this other world. I've never been in the hospital, you know. That was just like, what? You know, I'm 30 and everything was going fine. I was editing my movie. I was trying to get things done with that. And I was talking to one of my actors. And I have it recorded from down in the studio. I've been having these dizzy spells lately. Just very faintly, this recording of him and I talking about this. And it's like, then I get, then it's like, oh my gosh, cancer, you know? So it wasn't just a dizzy spell. So now anybody time a friend of mine tells me I've been feeling dizzy, it's like, what about this? You feeling? Are you feeling vertigo? Does it feel like Yeah, you're... it's an ear infection. Oh. Here's some amoxicillin. Exactly. <laughs> so oh. why don't you tell? So you were a guitarist, and um, from what I read on your bio, you had to, you know, it's very difficult. It, brain surgery is a very difficult thing to recover from. You had to reteach yourself how to play guitar. Well, I still am working on that. Um, I am still working on I haven't even started running yet. I mean, I'm still in in, in physical therapy. Um, I've been in physical therapy since this thing started, and I will never stop until I get back to where, to you know, as much as I can to where I was. Because I, I, I was very active and did a lot of stuff. And guitar, it was just because it was on the left side, it just messed up a lot of my left side coordination, especially my upper body. So my left, my left arm... It just my hand wasn't near, isn't as fast as it used to be. So like changing chords and positions, it's taken time. I'm working with an occupational therapist to help me get that back, um, and it's coming slowly. We're doing like mirror therapy and stuff like that, which is cool, um, and it really helps. Um, but I, it's been slow. I'm getting it back. I I still don't drive because I just don't know how that would go. So it's kind of been my choice too. I don't want to hurt anybody. <laughs> You know, so you were no, 30 and diagnosed with a pediatric brain tumor. Um, yeah. Did any of your doctors along the way mention the fact that it was pediatric, and were you treated at all with any pediatric uh, protocols or by pediatric oncologists or neuro-oncologists? Well, yeah, actually, I, my oncologist was at Dornbecker. I was treated at Dornbecker Children's Hospital at OHSU. Um, and uh, most of my interactions with doctors was through uh, through Dornbecker. Um, all my checkups, all my appointments, my like I said, my oncologist is at Dornbecker. Um, she's awesome. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, all of it was done at a pediatric hospital. And honestly, if, if I had to stay in the adult hospital and I got chemo, and I could tell you the difference between the two is night and day. The day would be in Dornbecker and the night being the hospital. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's bleak to me. It's like, especially back during that time, it was like I stayed there in, in last October um, because I had a, a low sodium thing happen and it was the, everything was a lot better than when I was there before but I would, when I remember when I was there for chemo it was really difficult to get like meds on time and things like that I'm sure everybody runs into that but it just was like going to Dornbecker it was just in, it was like my world I'm a big kid so it's my wife and it just really fit and so I really feel lucky that, that even that happened you know so did were there any discussions? I mean, obviously, you, you know the organization. We're all about young adults getting treated age-appropriately. Were there any conversations about uh, preserving your fertility in advance of the chemotherapy? Or, um, I mean, first of all, personally, as a quick non-sequitur, I am thrilled to hear that you had occupational therapy and physical therapy uh, offered to you. Uh, it was kind of the stuff that I only wished was given to me in 1996. I had to fend for myself for about five years without it. So with that said, you know, have you uh connected with the young adult groups at OSHU uh at all um in terms of connecting with peers? Um I tried going to one of the groups up there once and I it's just I'm not I, I like I mean I could get into a group the way they ran it it wasn't really for me. I I just I'm I'm really all about work and getting back to my life. I don't mean like working. I mean like Getting my body back, I work out, like, try to do it, work out every single day, do something. I mean, I've really been trying hard to get back, so, I don't know. It just, to me, it was like I could sit in a chair and talk to a bunch of people about something I don't have a problem with, and it didn't, I didn't feel like at the time I was really getting through to anybody there about, it, about how to handle things, so, I mean, I had one person ask me there, they asked the group, does anybody not fear it coming back? And I raised my hand and said, I really don't. Mm-hmm. Because I, things I'm doing now and the way I've changed my life, I really believe I live in a constant preventative way and I don't ever plan on changing it. And I don't feel paranoid. I'm happy. I'm content. And I like I liked my diet. I love my life. And I've never felt healthier, honestly. So I'm doing well as far as that goes. It's my brain that still mm-hmm. has problems. Yeah, well, it's amazing you don't have paranoia. I think I have enough paranoia for you and I combined. <laughs> so I'll be paranoid. For, I'll be paranoid for you, and you can be calm for me. Pretty severe PTSD from just going through the thing, and I, I have a neuropsychologist I see because of that, and so I have things, issues, and stuff. It's not like I'm just mm-hmm. oh, my brain is messed up, and I can tell. So I'm yeah. working on. I'm never going to stop working on it. I play brain games all day long. I'm on Lumosity, like, you know, every day. And mm-hmm. I really get my brain back, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh... it's so much improvement that it's, I see it, that I'm doing it. You know, even my doctors tell me, um, like, the stuff I take, like, I've been told, I'm on PolyMVA, and they, they, the doctors always tell me how good, healthy my brain tissue looks, and my my oncologist is basically always telling me that my tissue looks really healthy and it's very clear I'm doing something to make it that way, you know. Yeah, so. well, you're doing all the right things. It's definitely amazing. So one of the other last things we wanted to ask you about is 
you know, fertility, it's obviously one of the things our age group and, you know, you were married at the time. Um, did your doctors, before you started chemotherapy and radiation, did they give you any options to preserve fertility or was there not enough yeah. time? Or, you know, how did, did they start the conversation with you? How did that all go? Yeah, I had a doctor actually. He was he kind of recommended I, I do it. He said mm-hmm. he thought it might be he understood kind of what was coming. Um, I had a I had a couple doctors who were like really were great to me early on who really understood what I you know where I was at and kind of gave me some advice about things like you know it's going to be hard and at times you know this and that. When it came to fertility, it was like you probably should go bank some before this happens. So we did that, and I'm glad because. I mean, it pretty much everything I went through pretty much wiped everything out, and if we didn't bank, we wouldn't even have a chance for that. So, well, that's amazing to hear. That's really amazing to hear. I tell you, this is kooky, Andy. Really kooky. Um, but if there's anything to be said there, I'm still alive. 18 years later, you're going to be fine. Well, I think so. I think I think I'm going to I think I'm going to be awesome in time. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. I do too. All right. So, final question then before we wrap. How do you feel that going through this experience will or will not change the way you compose and perform? Well, um, I think this whole experience has made me just see life different, and in that it just makes everything I do different. It makes it, honestly, it's more positive, and I think I can a little bit more honest now with my vocal, even than I could before, like I wrote very cryptically before and now it's like, it's pretty out there and it's like, it's obvious what I'm saying and before it was pretty hidden and so it just made me bold, much more bold, I've been through something that, honestly, it's a gift it was just something that's really hard and luckily for me I survived it and you know, that's great because it really changed my life and it was something that I feel like I needed, you know so well, we are positively thrilled that A, you're here, B, you're functional, C, you're still creating, and mm-hmm. that you're a testament to self-advocacy for young adults. It's really extraordinary. Very much. Well, we would love to keep you uh, in the loop. We'd love to have you part of our Facebook group. This is an amazing... When you have your albums out, please let us know. We'll talk about them uh, maybe we can bring you back. Apparently, in out your, right you know, now, it's on iTunes right now. Um, just search for your name? Yeah, just Andy Kuntz. It's Andy Kuntz Edna, which is Andy backwards. <laughs> oh, that's what it's from, Edna. Got it. Love it. Oh, that, I got you. <laughs> got it. And the website is Edna Rocks, which is Y-D-N-A, Andy backwards, ydnarocks.com. Yes. Andy, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Good luck thank to you. God bless. Thank you. Thank- all right, Andy Kuntz, everybody. All right, let's hit up the news here real quick. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is I on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Okay, head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. That's events.stupidcancer.org, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we do not want you missing out. We've got events coming up in St. Louis. On the 25th in Raleigh, North Carolina, on July 9th, Denver, July 14th, and our uh, monthly We Spark group in Los Angeles on the 18th. That's events.stupidcancer.org. 
Don't forget about the Stupid Cancer Forums with nearly 5,000 members, the premier online community to connect with uh, survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you, stupidcancerforums.org. And finally, check out the Stupid Cancer Store for all the fancy schmancy stuff we got going on. Lots of sales and bogos and all that. I just learned what bogo meant recently. Buy one, get one. Buy one, get one. Wow, 39 years. I know. (laughs) Stupidcancerstore.org. That is your stupid cancer news. And all right, now it's time to get serious. We got some power players coming on the show right now. Returning champions and power players. We got two out of three, so I'll read the two. Nancy Biermeyer, who I just uh, met in person, is an awesome person, senior policy strategist for the uh, Breast Cancer Fund. She brings over 20 years of advocacy experience in D.C. and leads the organization's efforts to reform U.S. chemical management policy. Lindsay Dahl, returning champion and OMG Cancer Summit speaker, uh, is deputy director for Safer Chemicals Healthy Families, where she directs the campaign's field organizing, builds coalition partners like Stupid Cancer, advises on strategic communications and online organizing, before uh, joining the campaign, she directed policy and media strategy for the Health Legacy Coalition of Minnesota. And I believe we have Emily on the phone now, so I will introduce Emily Cousins, returning champion and stupid cancer blog writer, diagnosed with breast cancer when she was 32 and pregnant with her first child. She now blogs about life after cancer on the Stupid Cancer Blog, Huffington the Post, and other outlets, and she works for the Natural Resources Defense Council. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Emily Cousins, Linda Dahl, and Nancy Gurmeyer. Ladies, here we go. Hello. Hello there. Hello there. Hey. Hey. Thanks All for having me. This is great. Yeah, it's great to be back. I am really excited about the show, and I'm fired up after my trip to D.C. I feel like, and Lindsay, I, want, I promise you I'm writing, I'm, I'm having a post piece called Stupid Cancer Goes to Washington. Wonderful. <laughs> looking <laughs> looking forward to it. And I want to buy you before I anger the world about it. So Anyway, so I'm, I'm just excited to, to have you guys on the show. I mentioned I was just in D.C. to do a, 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 a policy. I don't know how the language is, but a, a hearing about uh, toxic chemical reform in this country, and I, I got such a, for the first time ever, a personal experience into the mired ridiculousness of inner DC Beltway nonsense, and that's my personal <laughs> take on it. This isn't welcome to front. the club. <laughs> I am. So I, I validated by you agreeing with me that it wasn't just me, um, but I'm I'm really uh, excited to just have you guys each introduce yourselves and let's get down and dirty into. Is there really a potential to change any of this, and what is the issue about, and how can we get our global listenership as angry as I am right now to do something really awesome? So let's start with Nancy. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, yeah, so the Breast Cancer Fund has been part of uh, Safer Time with Healthy Families with Lindsay for uh, the group Lindsay's from for a number of years, and, you know, it's been organizations like yours and your listeners like yours that have really called on Congress to do something, and I think they're feeling the heat, and there is an opportunity here to try to fix what is arguably the most broken of our environmental laws. Um, So definitely want to get everybody on board pushing for a strong piece of legislation and try to make something happen in the quagmire that is Congress. I think quagmire is being very fair. Yeah, I think quagmire (laughs) is a compliment. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Emily, you're up. Well, I just think this is such an important... 
important issue for survivors. You know, I mean, we know firsthand what it's like to go through the anguish of a cancer diagnosis. And, you know, most of us ask when we got diagnosed, why did this happen to me? And we never know exactly what caused our cancer, but we work so hard at keeping ourselves healthy and getting our tests and doing all our treatment. And what if even on top of all that there are chemicals in products we use every day that are, you know, posing a real serious health risk to us so that even if we're doing everything that dutiful little cancer survivors have to do, we could still be at risk. And so that's why I feel like we need to um, sort of mobilize and demand safer products and safer chemical testing from the government because I don't think cancer survivors should be like chemists and our own regulators every time we go to the store deciding what's safe for us and is this hormone in this lotion or shampoo I'm using going to make my breast cancer risk higher? We shouldn't have to be figuring that out every time we go to the store. I think the government needs to step in and you know, chemical companies need to step in and start making these things safer for us. But I think we have to demand it. Mm -hmm. And Lindsay, my BFF, I remember our first date in D.C. I'm like, who are you? Who are you? I don't know. But now we we have a torrid love affair over uh, changing the government if possible. Um, Give us us a quick history of safer chemicals. Well, I'm going to use that as my next blog post title, A Torrid Love Affair Um, (laughs) for (laughs) Chemical Policy Nerds. Um, yeah, you know, I think I think everyone, what everyone has said is exactly spot on. I think um, one of our members recently told me that she feels every single day like she has to be her own environmental protection agency, trying to do the best she can to, you know, navigate this really complex marketplace. And at the end of the day, it's a burden that us as consumers and um, families and pregnant women and cancer survivors should not have to have to face. We shouldn't be having trying to make these really hard decisions um, about which products are safe and which ones aren't. And so I think the, um, you know, big problems require big solutions. And the big solution we need is we need the government to step up to recognize that they haven't been protecting us. Um, that it's 2013 and it's time to do it, um, and that we all have a role to play in that. And the second thing is is that we also um, are asking retailers to get tough on toxic chemicals because Congress is a slow-moving beast, and we need to you know, fight like heck to make sure that they're moving as fast as possible. But in the meantime, retailers have a significant role to help clean up the marketplace and start to move product manufacturers um, away from some of these chemicals. So I think there's a lot of solutions that go into this. Um, the primary one, though, of course, is overhauling our federal laws. Well said. Any question? Yeah, so talking to Emily, so you are at the Na- Natural Resources Defense Council, and you talk about public health. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do professionally that, you know, is involved with the chemicals and what we're breathing and what we're eating and basically everything that we do everywhere that is slowly killing all of us. <laughs> well, well said. Um, yes, I don't know how to put that it, for but you. it's everything. Um, I don't think we have enough time for that. No, um, yes, I work at NRDC. I work as a writer there. And, um, you know, many of my colleagues are involved, like Nancy and Lindsay, in pushing for better legislation. Um, and I feel like I, I bring this perspective as a cancer survivor sort of, you know, knowing what it's like to hear those words, you have cancer, and and then wondering what caused it, and maybe was it some exposure, was it something that some lifestyle choice or some, 
you know, the place I lived that could have create, caused this or contributed to this um, disease. And so I feel like, you know, there are many things we can do to, you know, shop better and eat better. And NRDC and Safer Chemicals, Healthy Families, and Nancy's Organization Breast Cancer Fund, we all have really helpful tips on our websites for how you can, you know, use your consumer power to try to be safer. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, when I've – after I got my diagnosis, like, I became a religious juicer. I was committed to being as healthy as possible and eating all the kale and quinoa I could. But I, I sort of started learning from my public health colleagues that that may be not be enough. You know, even if I choose to eat dry beans so that I avoid BPA and, you know, canned, the lining of canned foods, you know, maybe I can't find a couch that doesn't have flame retardants in it. Or even if I give my kids the safest, cleanest, like most natural toys in the world, which I, I don't achieve by any means, they go to school and they eat off of a tray that has, you know, BPA in it. It's so right. uh, ubiquitous. So I think... You know, I encourage listeners to go to the websites of NRDC, Safer Families, help, you know, Safer Chemicals, Healthy Families, and Breast Cancer Fund to find those tips and make the choices, you you know, make the take the actions you can. But then there are the things we can't control. So that's where I feel like the legislative action comes in. And that's where the things you can do, it isn't just about shopping, it's about calling your senator and saying, are you a co-sponsor on a really good safer chemicals law, or, you know, pushing President Obama to put his weight behind it. You know, I think or even that Michelle Obama, since well, her yeah. project is, you know, healthy eating and healthy living, and, you know, we can always dream. And, and the food plate with BPA on it, right? <laughs> right. So let me turn it back to Lindsay real quick, because I, I'd love you to sort of um, give us the 101 on the history of Tosca, what happened in 1976 that actually got it into law and all the nonsense that's gone on to not update it accordingly. And then I'd love to bring Nancy on about the effort she's been doing, literally lobbying people and going up against billion-dollar anti-lobby idiots that we don't like. Lindsay. Yeah, so right now there's um, a lot of nostalgia for the 1950s, um, including fashion and Mad Men and all that kind of stuff. But mm -hmm. one of the main things that the 1950s brought was a flood of new consumer products. Um, and after World War II, it, was, you know, it wasn't until um, the 1960s, when, uh, 60s and 70s when scientists like Rachel Carson said, you know, we're using a lot of pesticides, we're using a lot of chemicals in the products we use every day but we haven't necessarily asked the right questions as to the health effects of these chemicals. Um, and so as part of the 1970s environmental movement, there were major environmental laws passed, like the Clean Air Act and the Clean Water Act, um, and the little-known Toxic Substances Control Act, um, which was passed in 1976 with the idea or the intent of um, making sure that chemicals used in the products we use every single day or the places we work or in manufacturing um, would be safe before we came into contact with them. The problem is, is that the law that was passed in 1976 um, has all of these massive loopholes that basically prevent the Environmental Protection Agency from actually taking action on any toxic chemicals. So the classic case is asbestos. Um, under this law, the EPA tried, spent 10 years um, and tried to regulate asbestos. 
and um, the federal courts threw out the asbestos ban saying, oh, sorry, um, you didn't prove that this chemical was harmful enough or this substance was harmful enough under this federal law. So the question remains, if you can't ban asbestos, um, what can you actually use this law for um, to actually regulate? So, um, sorry, were you going to jump in for a question? Was that Nancy? Okay, I'll keep going and then okay. I'll wrap it up. So, um, what happened is, is um, you know, a lot of what times what happens is, um, you know, Congress will take an action on a major law, and uh, the newspapers write about it, and so the public thinks, oh, this thing is taken care of. So in the 1976, Congress passes this law. The public thinks, oh, Congress is taking care of chemicals. Um, but you know, so decades have passed, and it hasn't been for the until the maybe last 10 years or so, where the public is slowly starting to realize wait, you mean to tell me it's 2013 and the chemicals used in the products that I put on my body or have in my home every single day haven't been tested for their health? Um, people are starting to ask those questions and realize that um, we've had decades pass uh, with a really weak law and we're now paying the consequence. Um, so that brings us today to today um, where we've got um, coalitions like Safer Chemicals Healthy Families that has all of the wonderful organizations um, on the phone and Stupid Cancer, um, you know, really being a part of that to create a moment and a movement um, behind passing some new, better, stronger laws. So let's, let's yes, go right to Nancy then. Right, so that trick of passing the new law is not an easy one. Um, there has been wide agreement from a number of different constituencies that the that Toxic Substance Control Act doesn't work, that TSCA doesn't work, and that there needs to be an update. But what that update looks like is really different depending on who you represent. So if you're the American Chemistry Council or ExxonMobil, you have a really different idea about what that reform should look like than if you're the Breast Cancer Fund or NRDC or Safe for Chemicals Healthy Families. So. We've been fighting for a number of years, the coalition for at least four years, to try to get the kind of piece of legislation that would really protect public health, that would really do something to get these chemicals, some of which are carcinogens, some of which, by the way, interfere with chemotherapy like tamoxifen, things like BPA excuse me, can interfere with tamoxifen, so it's a really clear issue for a lot of survivors. How do we get legislation that really is protective of that? in a way that really requires the government and industry to take responsibility for showing that their chemicals are safe before they go on the market. You know, the American Chemistry Council has spent millions of dollars lobbying not only at the federal level but at the state level, and a lot of states have stepped up to make laws protecting their own citizens, which has also helped to put pressure on, on Congress to take some action. So, you know, we're up there talking to Senate offices. The action right now is in the Senate, although there was just a hearing in the House a couple of weeks ago, to try to get a really strong bill out of the Senate that we can hopefully work a way to get it through the House and to, to the President's desk and actually get real change in this Congress, which would be outstanding. And, Emily, my question is for you. So I just want to, you know, I, you guys are all way smarter than I am and Matthew included on this issue and I will admit before I was diagnosed with cancer I was a frozen food junkie I ate every day for lunch like a lean cuisine or a Weight Watchers meal total I lived on processed foods I have not touched any of that stuff 
since. I will admit sometimes I sneak in an Easy Mac here and there, which is probably not so good. Probably your skin is probably all crawling because I just said that. But so, what are some of the things that people should be looking out for? Whether you know they've already had cancer and are trying to maintain a healthy lifestyle, or they're a healthy person who's trying to stay as healthy as they can, or a supporter or a caregiver. What are some of the things that we need to be looking at labels and looking on whether it's something that we eat or put it on our bodies. I remember I was out shopping with a friend, and she looked at a shower gel, and she's like, you can't buy it. It has this in it. I don't remember what it was called. It was a chemical that, you know, is very bad for you, and I wish I remember what it was because then I remember to look for it and not purchase it. So what are some of the things that we need to be looking for, whether it be something we're eating or, you know, everyday items that so we could avoid putting chemicals in our bodies? Well, I, I can name a few, but then I'll, I'll turn it over to Nancy cause I, and, and Lizzie because I know they also have a lot of expertise here. But, you know, as a fellow breast cancer survivor, one of the things I think about is estrogen. You know, uh, my doctors told me to avoid estrogen even though I was ER negative just to be on the safe side. So I stopped eating tofu, you know, I get, would get hormone-free milk. I would take all these measures, but, you know, then there's, BPA is an endocrine disruptor that mimics estrogen. There are a lot of chemicals that act like estrogen. So BPA is one of them, and that's in plastic water bottles. And and the lining, you know, increasingly it's getting removed from water bottles, but it's also in the lining of canned foods. So avoiding canned foods is always a good idea. You know, buying in bulk or any other, getting soup in glass jars or sauce in glass jars is a good move. Um, I also try to avoid estrogen-like things that are in lotions or shampoos. And again, the websites that we, we, from our organizations can help guide you to some good alternatives. It's also good to avoid phthalates, which is another endocrine-disrupting or hormone-disrupting chemical. And phthalates are often used to create fragrances. So, you know, if you have a air freshener, really fragrant shampoo or lotion, chances are they, that phthalates have been used to create that scent unless you choose a product that says essential oils were used for the scent. Um, That's a good rule of thumb. Uh, You know, I always try to buy organic food when possible. It's not always affordable by any means, Um, but there's a number of pesticides that have been linked to cancer, uh, you know, in in tests, including breast cancer. Um, So those are some rules of thumb. Nancy, Lindsay, do you want to add some others? Sure. Uh, you know, I again would, would echo what Emily said about checking out websites. We have a, a whole chemical glossary on our website, uh, which looks at chemicals, particularly uh, linked to breast cancer, although all of these chemicals are linked to just more than one health outcome. You know, things that are linked to breast cancer are also linked to prostate cancer or other kinds of um, diseases and conditions. I would mention parabens that you can find often in cosmetics that are a problem. And fire retardants, there's a bunch of fire retardants out there that are um, really problematic, and you probably get a dose of those every time you sit down on your couch. So it's really hard to find uh, furniture that doesn't include these kinds of chemicals in them, which is why we need systematic um, change, why we need the government to step up and take these chemicals out of commerce. And the problem with some of these... Go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say that's so true. I'm trying to buy a couch right now. Um, and I, I, I've been calling around and trying to find out where I can find a safer alternative. It's really hard, and one store said latex doesn't have all the fire retardants 
that regular foam does, but it could cost $1,500 more to buy that product. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that just comes back to the need for a larger reform than consumer. And it it points out what an economic justice this issue is. You know, for those of us who, who have the resources to buy organic or have the access to organic, that's great. But there are lots and lots of people in this country who either can't get it or can't afford it, even if they can find it. And healthy products shouldn't be at a premium. That should be the right of every American. It shouldn't be that you have to pay extra to be healthy. That's just It's just wrong, and we need the government to step up and fix it. So, so Nancy, I think that's uh, really- my, sorry, my experience with you when we went to Senator Schumer's office and Senator Gillibrand's office was, was like life-changing because I'd never been in a room with a lobbyist before, let alone one on, like, my side, you know. So <laughs> There I, are some on your side, it's true. <laughs> no, no I, I was thrilled. I was really thrilled. But it's such an art, the way in which you had to couch your language and speak a certain way. And I think the part that, that upset me the most, but I now I understand it, was that, you, and, and I get it now, but you never actually wind up talking to the actual congressional leader you're always talking to someone on their staff who's like 24, and how do you? Mm-hmm. It, it boggled my mind that these 25-year-old interns, who with the majority of the audience that compromise that comprised who I spoke to, are the key influencers up the chain to these legislative decision makers. Is that the case? It is absolutely the case that the vast majority of visits that you make in in D.C. are with congressional staff. And they are, in fact, very, very influential with the decisions that get made. The thing that's great, though, is as constituents, people out in the real world, real voters, you have a real voice in this. And they really do pay attention to what constituents say. And it's really important that people step to the plate and make their, their outrage at this situation known to their senators, because that does make a difference. And then you know, folks like me can go in and talk to the staff and say, see, people really care about this, and we need your boss to do the right thing. And I think cancer right. survivors have a unique vo- voice to offer to this whole movement that is, you know, people are involved across the country, but I think cancer survivors have a unique role because, you know, we come from the experience of, of, of the worst-case scenario. You know, the studies say that BPA could be linked to breast cancer or these other things could cause breast cancer, well, we, you know, or other kinds of cancer. Well, we know what it's like to go through that anguish, and, and none of us want anybody else to have to experience it either. So I think that we can speak with some authority and say, you know, hey, if, if, if making chemical companies create safer products can prevent illness, then shouldn't we do it? You know, if... if if you know right now chemical companies and all these product manufacturers are innocent and proven guilty they don't have to show that what they're putting on the market is safe and i think we can come and say hey that's too dangerous it's playing with fire we've suffer- you know so many people have suffered from serious illnesses if we can prevent more people from getting sick shouldn't we do it and if that means you going back to the lab and working a little harder to use a better ingredient then you should do it. And so I think wanna, we should bring that moral authority to the movement. 
Yeah, and playing off of that, we'll go to Lindsay first on this one. So let's talk a little bit about the other side of lobbying. From the chemical lobby, they have a lot of money. They have a lot of support from their side. So tell us a little bit about, you know, the that side, the, you know, quote-unquote ugly side of lobbying that you guys are essentially fighting back against when they're, you know, trying to deny the, you know, the problem. It kind of reminds me of the movie Thank You for Smoking with a lobbyist who is coming out and saying that smoking can't kill you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about also fighting that side of lobbying in Washington. It's funny you use that example because when I um, – I don't think my family still gets what I do. You know, they're like, oh, she's an activist or something. But um, I try to describe my job as it's like Aaron Brockovich meets thank you for smoking. Like nice. <laughs> somewhere in between there is the world in which I live. But, um, yeah, it's a real thing. I mean, the chemical industry has a lot of resources, and they have a lot of connections um, here in Washington that not everyone else has. Um, and so I think what it really comes down to is it's kind of an inside-outside game. Um, there's a phrase about things happening inside the Beltway, which is the highway that circles D.C. Um, it's kind of like this little bubble, um, and there's a lot of influence that happens there. But what happens when people outside the Beltway and the rest of the country really start to make a ruckus about something, um, people in the halls of Congress, senators, et cetera, really start to pay attention. Um, so if there's one thing that I've found since doing um, stuff here in Washington, it's that even though the it's overwhelming, it's like you said, Matthew, you're talking to people that are 24 years old, um, the chemical industry has such deep pockets, it's actually amazing to see how much um, people that send emails, when they make phone calls, when they do meetings with their senators back in their home state, to really see these senators over time um, sympathize and start to rally and champion um, the people back home in their state. And that's for everyone that's listening. Um, it seems like a drop in the bucket, but it actually makes a huge difference. And if you think of how far our movement has come in just the last five years, um, it's really it's night and day, and it's because of people, everyday people um, doing what they can to take email actions, to pick up the phone to call, to take the extra two, two minutes to do something um, in, their, in their very busy, busy day. Right, including like um, writing uh, letters or blog posts on your local newspapers. One of my colleagues says um, members of Congress read local newspapers like soldiers read letters from home. You know, it really mm -hmm. does make a difference. So if you can create some sort of buzz or, or mess, you know, push, tell your story in a local newspaper or blog, people will take notice. It, it adds up. Yeah, we have a really good resource on our website at saferchemicals.org. There's um, different resources for how to write those letters to the editor, so different guides so, you're not feel, so you don't feel like you're starting from scratch. You can check out our website. Can you guys talk a little bit about the, um, I don't know, the consumer advocacy side of this that has yielded, I mean, we talked about this briefly, like is, the, is it a loss leader in business and commerce to produce a clean bio-friendly version of a product you already make. Um, like uh, like there are some, like I think Palmolive, I know I wasn't allowed to mention brands in my hearing, but I can say it on the air here. Palmolive makes like a completely tree plant-based organic version of its disgustingly chemical-laden green version of its dishwasher detergent. Is there is there something in here that, you know, and it's not usually more expensive either, that there's this, a side here that consumers can vote with their wallets in in a 
it's sort of a co- collaborative campaign to getting these local news stories and to getting uh, more sort of pressure on their congressional leaders. Absolutely. I can um, take a stab at that. This is Lindsay again. I think, um, you know, that's part of the reason we started the Mind the Store campaign, which is the campaign to get retailers to start taking action on toxic chemicals, and it's that consumers can make choices. There's a lot of cleaning products, for example, um, some that are made by really, you know, a lot greener companies, and then some things as simple as vinegar um, that clean your home just just as effectively, Um, and something like vinegar is cheap as all get out, so it's not like you're having to pay a premium for safer cleaners. Um, You know, consumers have really started to shift the marketplace, and the more we vote with our, our dollars, the more companies are going to respond, and therefore, the more impetus Congress is going to have to act. Yeah, I'd like to just second that. I think what we buy is really important, and we've seen that with BPA. That you'd be hard pressed to find a baby bottle now that has BPA in it, and that's because mothers demanded BPA-free products, and the market responded. We did a report recently through the Campaign for Safe Cosmetics looking at the cosmetic industry, and the fastest-growing portion of the, of the cosmetics industry has been the natural product portion of that. It's good business to do this now, and you know, education on programs like this one is part of why. People go out and use their, and use their wallets and their money wisely, and stuff changes. Any follow-up to that, Emily? Uh, no, I, I just, you know, I, I hear, here. let's use our wallets because I really think it can make a difference. So, all right, so I have, I have one more question uh, for each of you to answer, and this is kind of like a New York 2 cynic question that I would normally ask anyone, but because I'm on the soapbox about this so much more than I ever was, having gone to Washington and feeling so completely uh, disempowered to do anything, the uh, you read about the lobbyists on the other side, the billion-dollar chemical lobby, um, is, it really a, is it really that? Are these people paid in the pockets? Because you hear these media quips and you're not sure what to believe and whatnot because everything in the news is 24-hour news cycle vomit. The, the chemical lobby has lobbyists that are paid to debunk science and to deny this and to you know, pay off congressional leaders to vote against their interests but these are still people whose kids get cancer from parabens anyway. Is that is this really the world we're living in? Um, so, I think, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, um, on one hand, I think, on one hand, yes, Matthew, but I actually think apathy from the general public is just as much of a problem, if not a bigger problem, than the chemical industry. Um, there's some, you know, different people in the chemical industry and different chemical companies themselves that recognize that there's a problem and have been trying to work to reform our federal laws. And so I actually think um, the widespread apathy that the American public has because they're so grossed out by Congress, which I understand, but that actually is one of our biggest barriers to meaningful change. Um, so I understand and I completely um, I get your cynicism, but I actually think um, getting people to be inspired to take action is what is going to be more effective than trying to somehow diminish the power of the chemical industry. Right, because I guess I think that it it, it is so it is powerful. It, it has such deep pockets. The chemical industry will continue to fight back. I mean, the American Chemistry Council recently tried to like 
suspend lobby Congress to suspend the report on carcinogens so we wouldn't even know what things caused cancer. They'll continue to do that, but I think that the last few decades has numerous examples of times when we created stronger environmental and public health standards because American people demanded it, you know, because, you know, we people, you know, decades ago said we shouldn't have lead in gasoline. It's it's dangerous. Well, gas companies pushed back and chemical companies pushed back, but we cha- we made that change. People said it's bad for our kids. We have to get this stuff out of the air, and we did it. And there are numerous examples of that. When people care and raise their voices, and especially when it's about a public health issue, members of Congress eventually do the right thing. If if people follow, our lawmakers will lead. And once you each go around, we'll we'll do one more question. Uh, give us your favorite website, whether it be to get more information or to take action, to become an advocate. You know, what is one website that our listeners need to go to right now? We can this start is with entirely Wendy. self-serving. <laughs> this is entirely oh, self-serving. You can be as self-serving as you want. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I would go to saferchemicals.org. Um, saferchemicals.org is a place where you can both get information to take action um, as well as different consumer tips that we talked about. And this is Nancy. I would also be self-serving in addition to saferchemicals.org. I would encourage you to go to breastcancerfund.org where you can get a lot of not only the action but the science and and the uh, personal tips as well. And just to answer really quickly Matt's question, the chemical industry absolutely is is fighting us on every front that they can find. They're taking, you know, their playbook from the tobacco industry, you know, 20 years ago. And the only thing that's going to overcome their money to campaigns and their resources to do the science debunking and all the things that they do is for the for the public to get over their apathy. The only thing that will overcome their resources and their nefarious strategies is for the electorate to rise up and say, enough, we want safe chemicals for our families. And Emily, the uh, NRDC, I assume? Yes, I hear mm-hmm. I'd say yes. And um, I, I can't help but make a pitch for NRDC's website. There's a lot of information there, including ways to take action, you know. And so I think this is, you know, all about uh, and becoming educated as a consumer and uh, then taking action as a, a cancer survivor and somebody who cares about these issues. And I think all these websites will help you do both. Well, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys. I mean, we could do this all night, my ranting and raving about being in D.C., but you know I'm committed <laughs> to this, and this is a big deal. And now that I'm a dad, I mean, it just amplifies everything. And, yeah, um, I agree. You know, like, we, we spend so much time, my wife and I spend so much time buying the most organic, clean-looking, BPA-free, chemical-free, non-lead paint in China kind of stuff for our kids. But, yeah, they're sitting on a couch, and they're on a mattress, and they're in the car. And there's so much that we have the right to know about, and it's just so hardly unfair right now. So I'm on board. I'm on fire. Well, that's great. Thank you. All right. Well, Emily Cousins, yeah, Lindsay Dell, Nancy Beermar, guys, thank you so much for the call. And count me in anytime you need me down in D.C. to punch drunk somebody (laughs) uh, and not get arrested. Thanks, Matthew. Okay. Be careful what you offer. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye. 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 Bring a lawyer when you go. Yeah, I'll bring my lawyer when I go. 
Yeah. So anyway, so um, really, this is upsetting. I mean, it was yeah. upsetting to begin with when we first had Lindsay, um, when I first met her, and then she spoke at OMG about environmental issues. We had her on the show several times about that. Um, it, it was just, it, it's so disturbing that this is the way it is. And we talk about inequities in public health and inequities in poverty, inequities in this, but everyone still has a couch. Yeah. Everyone, most everyone has a vehicle or a car or sits on some kind of chair somewhere mm-hmm. that has all this junk in it that or we don't know about. Or drinks out of a cup or right. gives their kid a bottle or eats off a plate. Right. Or eats the food in general yeah. or washes their body <laughs> with soap. breathes the air. Yeah, breathes yeah. the air or puts lotion on because they have a little dry skin. Right. It's so fu- I never knew or cared about any of this stuff because before cancer I thought I was invincible. Well, we all are. Yeah, pretty much. So I never cared about, like, what I ate or what I did with anything. I just kind of, you know, had my lean cuisine and put on my cancer-causing body lotion and, you know, breathed the super clean air of New York City. Uh, You know, I pretty much had an idea of what was really bad. I didn't smoke or do anything like that, but it's amazing how much I've learned in a short amount of time about how horrible everything is that we put in our bodies. And uh, it's kind of scary. You know, it's almost like we need, like, a divining rod for household products. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, you had to bring in a divining rod at the Walmart, just yeah. having it, like, beep, depending on how cancer-causing different products are on the shelves. Good God, you wouldn't buy anything. No, you buy nothing. And that's one of the things is, like, I listen to all this stuff, and I'm like, what, what do I do? Right. Like, what do I do now? Do I have, you know, a cup of coffee in paper? Because plastic's not okay. It's so confusing. Right. Because... Or did that tree grow up near a plutonium minefield of I, junk, you know, of like toxic sewage? I don't, I don't did know. Did it seep into the amber? You're like, you never know. You, you don't. Know. And then even, you know, this is like a way out there. It's not really way out there, but it's another example is if just where you lived. You know, we know a lot living in New York City. We're very close to the World Trade Center. People who just live down here right. are getting cancer yes. because of the air they breathed, right. literally, just because of the air they breathed after 9-11 and Ground Zero, and they're getting lung cancer it's, and it's, rare cancers, and it's very bizarre. I think they're calling that amenities now. Are they? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for your exactly. condo, for your mortgage. Yeah, exactly. It's a building amenity. Yeah, lung cancer. Move to the Upper East Side. You don't. You won't breathe in toxic everything. Right. Although they're building a dump near me, which oh. is just lovely. Even fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Can't get <laughs> can't leave Manhattan soon enough and go to the birds. All right, I'm all about the divining rod. That's my new project. Are you going to invent the, that? The cancer, the toxic chemical divining rod act. You should trademark that now. Okay. Because <laughs> someone we're listening to is going to totally rip that off from you. <laughs> This is how you're going to be a millionaire. Okay. I'll do my best. Okay. All right. Well, this is a phenomenal show. I it can't, was. I, we got to do it again and again. Like, there's no end to this enragement that I just made up and as a word. And you can't stop learning about it. There's no. so much to learn. Right. And it's ridiculous. So, literally, she's right. Erin Brockovich meets, thank you for smoking. Mm-hmm. These people are in the pockets of evil people whose kids don't get cancer, but they don't care. Yep. Pretty much. It's just ridiculous. Anyway. All right, folks. That is an amazing show. And uh, now it is time for our closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. You ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. 
That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. All righty, folks, that's our show, broadcast number 270. We hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. I'd like to thank our guests, Andy Kuntz, Emily Cousins, Lindsay Dahl, and Nancy Biermeyer. And tune in next week for Selma uh, Schimmel and Vital Options. Selma is often hailed as the original young adult survivor advocate, originally diagnosed with breast cancer at 28 in 1983. The founder of Vital Options, a not-for-profit with a mission to facilitate a global cancer dialogue, Selma's 30-year effort to right the wrongs of our health care system go unabated. Joining Selma will be Terry Wilcox, creative director and supervising producer of The Group Room, and our survivor spotlight on David Dorfman. Alrighty, if you've missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at iTunes.stupidcancer.org or check out the archives anytime at stupidcancershow.org. Remember, folks, if it ain't stupid, it ain't cancer. Live from the chemo deck, on behalf of Kenny Kane, Annie Goodman, Maureen Sweet, myself, and our whole team here with the Stupid Cancer Show, have a great week, and we'll see you back here next week live at 8 p.m. Good night, folks. Good night. Good night.